Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Control Amplified podcast. I'm Len Vermillion, Editor-in-Chief of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. I'm really excited about our discussion today. You know, carbon capture is a technology I've been reporting on for many years now, so I'm particularly interested to hear about carbon capture and the value chain that's been created. And who better to fill us in than Brandon Bromberic? He's Vice President of Oil and Gas Measurement Solutions at Emerson. And Brandon works with a lot of upstream and midstream oil and gas operators to navigate the energy transition. And as we now know, carbon capture is a big part of that transition. So Brandon, first, let me welcome you to the podcast. Well, thanks, Len, for having me. It's great to be here. Right. So why don't we start at the top? Why is there so much talk about carbon capture these days? Well, that's a great first question. And the answer really lies in the fact that uh, carbon capture is really a critical component in tackling climate change. Um, you know, I assume most of the listeners out there are, are aware of and have heard about the, the world's goal of really limiting the rise in global temperatures to uh, 1.5 degrees C compared to pre-industrial levels and how important that really is in tackling our climate change issue. And that pathway to limiting that rise in temperatures to 1.5 degrees C really relies on a reduction in emissions of about 50 to 55% or so compared to the present day. But if we wanna reach a net zero emissions case by 2050, removing CO2 from the atmosphere has to be on the agenda under all of the scenarios built. You know, reducing emissions alone isn't going to get us there. And that's where carbon capture comes in. It's really the process of removing carbon dioxide in two general areas. You know, one is at industrial sources before the emission to the atmosphere occurs. And the second is direct air capture or directly pulling the emissions out of the atmosphere and then permanently sequestering those emissions or those carbon streams at depth, usually in a depleted oil or gas reservoir, you know, far below the, the subsurface or in a saline aquifer far below the, the subsurface. So now the value chain, the carbon capture value chain has many parts to it. Can you spend a little time and maybe walk us through the value chain and give our listeners some background on, on that? Sure, let me do that. Uh, really, the way I break it down is into you know five key parts. So the, the first part is really the source of those CO2 emissions themselves, whether they be high purity emissions, low purity emissions, or as I mentioned, capturing, you know, super low purity or, or maybe dispersed emissions from the atmosphere through direct capture. High purity would be CO2 that's released as part of maybe hydrogen generation through, say, the steam methane reforming process or that which is a high purity byproduct of, say, ethanol production. Low purity would be something coming off a cement plant or from a coal-fired or natural gas-fired power plant. And then direct air capture is essentially just as it's described, pulling that CO2 out of the atmosphere. The second part is the systems and technologies to actually remove or separate that CO2. So we have point source capture methodologies like absorption or adsorption or 
membrane technologies, uh, you know, that, that might be mounted right on the back end of an industrial process. Uh, and then again, we have, we have the direct air capture systems that are set up out there that utilize one of those concepts, but through a different mechanism. Third, we have usually have some type of treatment that happens and that's primarily, you know, dehydration to get uh, residual water out of that stream and then maybe compression uh, to get ready to move that captured CO2. We then have the transportation part of the, the value chain. And so that can be a pipeline or uh, a ship or marine vessel uh, in the case of maybe, uh, you know, cross-continent transport, or we have maybe truck or rail cars where we might load and move that CO2, which, you know, currently are, are sort of infeasible if we want to scale this thing up. Uh, and then we have, you know, what do we do with it at the end point? And we can really break that down into two different paths. The first is injection into the subsurface. That's going to be probably 95% of the case where we simply sequester and, and pack away that CO2 for good. Uh, and about 5% of the case would be trying to utilize that CO2. And that could go into things like, you know, embedding it into, into cement or aggregates or using it for specialty chemicals or even in the food and beverage industry where you, you know, you might think of something like a, a carbonated beverage. So hopefully that gives you a good feel for sort of the steps in the, in the chain. There. Right. It, it sure does, but I will tell you, this sounds really uh, relatively complex and involved as a process. So are there companies trying to tackle all this from end to end? Yeah, well, it is a pretty accurate observation that's, that it's a very complex process. Certainly there's a lot of different links in the chain there from the source, you know, through to the eventual storage or, or utilization point. And, you know, then certainly there are cases where individual entities are looking at owning the process from end to end, you know, and this, it becomes a bit easier and you can sort of visualize it when we have what we call a single source, single sink arrangement. So let's say you have an industrial facility that's able to co-locate a storage site or a storage well on premise, which then cuts out that sort of transportation need that I uh, described. And so a few examples of cases like this would be, say, the Petronova facility in Texas or the Boundary Dam power station up in Saskatchewan, Canada. However, there's, there's a lot of things that have to line up here, um, you know, quite nicely for this to happen. I, I mentioned a few, you know, you have to, for the economics, have a pretty high purity stream of CO2. Uh, you have to have an ideal sink location that's, you know, super close by or even on site, which means, of course, the geology of the subsurface needs to be right. And you also have to be able to get a permit and carry out all the well construction steps to build that site and so on and so forth. And so truly because of this, what we're seeing as of late is more of a hub or a cluster concept um, rather than you know, single entities trying to carry out all the steps in the process. And the idea here is that on the source side, you might have multiple companies located in a small geographical area where we can get some efficiency through the fact that we can bring together multiple point sources of CO2 emissions and then utilize shared infrastructure for transportation, 
to a separate location offsite for, for sequestration. And then on that end, you know, the storage site can be optimized for different things like the subsurface geology or its location, you know, potentially away from metro areas, for example, maybe even somewhere offshore, somewhere where the, the physical characteristics of the storage site are ideal. So through this concept, we sort of separate those ideal source sites and those ideal sink sites. Uh, and then of course, bring about all the transportation infrastructure to, to connect the dots. Okay. So now with all this complexity, Brandon, how do we keep track of the CO2 molecules? So for example, how much is moving and is it going to where we want it to go through the network? So how's the accountability maintained? Well, that's a great question. I mean, after all, at this point, you know, maybe we've captured the CO2 and we've processed it, dehydrated it, removed some contaminants, but might have a long way to go before its utilization point or the point of permanent sequestration. So yeah, how do we keep track of it? And, um, you know, just like any other commodity or, or waste stream, probably more accurately in this, in this particular case, when there's a changing of hands or custody transfer, as we like to call it, there's got to be some measurement that takes place to ensure that the parties agree to that trade. And so in the hub concept I described earlier, one can understand why that becomes quite important. And furthermore, you can you know, consider the fact that the CO2 is likely to be emitted as a gas. It's then likely to be compressed to different pressures, potentially be liquefied, especially in terms of international movement by vessel. And ultimately, uh, you know, it's likely to be sequestered in a supercritical state in an aquifer or depleted reservoir. And so you can start to see that there's a, a lot of complexity there in ensuring all those measurement points match up across different phases and, and such. And so as we move towards this, you know, globalized trade of CO2, um, accuracy in terms of that fiscal impact becomes, you know, critically important. Um, and just to get into a little bit more, you know, we're not doing all of this for naught, right? I mean, I, I started by talking about the fact that this has got a significant imp implication around climate change and, and trying to make the world a better place. So ensuring that we see overall mass balance across that chain and that we're truly sequestering and getting rid of that CO2 that we've, we've captured really relies on accurate measurement along the way, not only with metering skids and solutions um, such as the ones Emerson builds, but with other instrumentation along the, the value chain to monitor for leaks or losses or other containment issues so that we can get that accountability piece right. And again, not to place blame when something happens, which is sometimes where one's mind goes, but really to ensure all the effort and energy to do this actually gets us to the end result of, of reducing emissions. Right. And so, you know, what I'd say there is we need to bring technology to the game that's tried and true for, for CO2 measurement, whether that's understanding purity or ensuring integrity or simply metering that CO2 so we can account for, for what we've captured. Okay. And of course, that means throughout the value, value chain, uh, that CO2 is going to touch a lot of hands in technology. So what are 
the challenges that exist between the groups that are working together. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think you heard me allude to the fact that we're going to want to quantify mm -hmm. what we're capturing and moving, right. not only from that aspect of understanding how we're progressing toward our, our goals, but also from that fiscal and contractual aspect of CO2 changing hands, you know, sort of connecting the needs of our society with the, the physical business aspect that's going to come about. Mm -hmm. And, and really one of the biggest challenges lies in the fact that we haven't yet come to a global standard for, you know, the cost or the burden of those emissions nor have we come to a global standard for how to measure them. So if you think about the cost side, there are various schemes out there in the world from, you know, different trading, um, excuse me, different emissions trading systems to taxes, to offsets, to incentives to abate, uh, things of that nature. And, and when we get to trying to put a value on those emissions, it's not easy to get to a standard cost mechanism. And then when we move toward the measurement side, you know, up to this point, we've largely been focused on monitoring and reporting what is released to the atmosphere through, say, continuous emissions monitoring systems, um, such as the ones Emerson is involved in, in building. Um, particularly when we speak of CO2, that means aligning across gas and liquid and supercritical steams, streams as well. And so... Is that global economy for actually moving the carbon around from capture location to sequestration location develops? We're really going to need the industry to, to move very quickly to a standardized measurement for that carbon stream, which means we've got to align on technologies, we've got to align on units, on standards, on accuracy, on fiscal certification. And so, you know, how do we get from aligning? monitoring measurements that come off a stack at a refinery or a plant um, with those same, you know, emissions that are now in a gas pipeline with, you know, the same emissions that are now at a supercritical fluid state that's pumped into a aquifer or, or reservoir. And so what, what we at Emerson believe really in is uh, if we break this down to mass flow, which something like our Coriolis, micromotion Coriolis meters can measure. Now we can start to align the tons of CO2 emitted to a mass measurement of that uh, sequestered product. Okay, so you mentioned a few of the Emerson um, technologies that are used to help. So can you maybe talk about any others or just in general, how Emerson's solutions, um, you know, help us in this carbon capture space? Yeah, sure. That's... Um, that's a relatively simple question, but um, there's a, a lot to uh, to pull out into an answer there. Yeah. And I guess what I'll start by saying is that, um, you know, I alluded earlier to the value chain being a pretty complex mechanism. I, I might have simplified that a bit, but, you know, if I just hit a couple of the points, we're talking major pressure differentials from capture to the injection site. We're potentially talking vast temperature swings. Um, as well, depending on where, a, say, a pipeline begins and ends. Uh, we're talking about purity requirements, uh, not only to get the product into a state that it can be moved efficiently uh, and reliably, um, but also contractually agreeable to different parties. 
And all of this in an environment where eventually, as you you know can imagine in say a natural gas network today, a pipeline of CO2 might become part of a larger network where we've got multiple entry points and exit points and, and such, right? We, we certainly don't want to take down an entire line due to a single you know, bad actor. So where we come in really with Emerson's automation portfolio is that we, we truly span across that value chain from process optimization on the front end to ensure that those carbon streams are captured as efficiently as possible to optimizing the transport network, to building the systems that are used for custody transfer of those carbon streams between parties, and even into modeling the subsurface for storage capacity and integrity. On the measurement instrumentation side of the business where I sit, we're involved really in everything from process measurement of things that, you know, as simple, and I say simple, um, it's, it's not exactly simple, but maybe compared to other things it is, but as simple as pressure and temperature measurements to gas analysis to understand CO2 stream purity and contamination and water content to metering the flow of those fluid streams. So if I pick on flow measurement for a minute, it's important to note that CO2 behaves in a way that's different than the standard fluid streams in that as it makes its way across different pressure and temperature boundaries, we may see it go from a gas to say a supercritical fluid, which can really present measurement challenges if one doesn't employ suitable technology. And so if you look at our micromotion Coriolis flow meters, our elite flow meters really do a great job of handling these challenges due to their ability to measure the mass of the fluid uh, directly. And what I think is important to note is, you know, we've been measuring CO2 streams for decades, whether that be in the energy sector where CO2 has historically been used for things like enhanced oil recovery, where essentially our customers inject CO2 into a hydrocarbon reservoir to aid in production optimization, or in metering solutions built into the thousands of miles of CO2 pipelines that are already in existence in places such as the US today, or even in places like the food and beverage industry where we might be involved in carbonating beverages to give a few examples. So for us, the focus on CO2 in terms of carbon capture and the flurry of activity we've seen as of late might be new in terms of the underlying use case, but Certainly dealing with CO2 on the whole is something we'd consider ourselves highly experienced in with expertise and technology that can be applied really today. Well, that, that's really a great discussion on carbon capture and the value chain. So is there, I just wanna ask you before we end up going, is there any final thoughts that you'd wanna share with us on, on this subject? Yeah, sure. I, I guess what I'd like to leave uh, you and the listeners with is, is just to say that uh, we at Emerson are really encouraged by the speed at which some of these projects we're seeing are hitting the ground. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting to see the openness of some of the folks we've been engaging with and the, and the collaboration that's really taking place in a relatively you know new domain, at least at this type of scale. It's uncharted territory for many um, who are sort of starting their journey into what carbon capture means in the 
energy transition. And when we think about the sheer volume of CO2 that needs to be captured, moved and sequestered, we're talking pretty big numbers and a big challenge. And so, you know, no one is going to solve this alone. The more we work together, the faster we're going to get there. And so I'd just encourage that continued collaboration. And Emerson is proud to be one of the players in that solution and to partner with companies and governments and society around the world to get that job done. You know, Len, when we describe ourselves in a, you know, succinct format, you might see the tagline on our website or something. We, we commonly say that Emerson is the global technology, software, and engineering powerhouse driving innovation that makes the world healthier, safer, smarter, and more sustainable. And, you know, while that might sound like a nice tagline, I certainly can't think of a better demonstration of that um, than through our involvement in that carbon capture space. It certainly makes for, for exciting times for us. It sure does. Well, Brandon, thanks a lot for being here today. I mean, wonderful discussion and uh, looking forward to where, seeing where carbon capture goes in the future. So thank you. For okay. Being. Thanks. Thanks again, man. <laughs>